You found the Love Flight Podcast. I'm Paul Tizard, Fear of Flying Coach, and I've been helping Nervous Flyers since 1997. So in this podcast, you are going to find aviation experts, psychologists, coaches, enthusiasts, and people normal, just like you, who have overcome their fears. Welcome. And this week we're talking to the one and only Flyman Simon. Uh, I've been trying to get you on the podcast for ages and a lot of people in our Love Fly Facebook group follow you. So that's how I came across you. And I I can't believe our paths haven't crossed yet because of our background. But welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. What an introduction. Hope I um, live up to it. (laughs) Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell us about yourself. Tell us uh, what you do. Um, Don't hold back. And then I can just shut up and listen. Yeah, I'll give you the um, the short-ish version, version right. that I um, I always had a, a love of aviation. Uh, when I was a, a kid, I always wanted to um, to fly aeroplanes. My granddad got me into it, taking me to a local museum, um, you know, an aircraft museum and to the local mm. airport. Uh, I always had, had a love, and believe it or not, air traffic control was the first one when I went on the first holiday that I remember anyway, flying through the cloud and all the rest of it, thinking, how do these aeroplanes see where they're going and everything with the... Um, with, with, uh, you know, not being able to see out the windows and air traffic was my first thought of love. And then as I got older, um, I realized that I, I wanted to be a pilot. Um, I applied to the Air Force. Um, they ended up filtering me to be an engineer for four, four years. So I ended up servicing the tornado engines of the aircraft that I want to fly. Um, and then I got my lucky brick about four years in, went for pilot, got it. Did about five years of fast jet flying. Yeah. Um, and then again, as life has filled me. Forever, really. I, I got um, pushed towards multi-engines and very luckily got the Boeing C-17. Did 10 years on that. And then um, and then joined Virgin, Virgin um, flying the A350 now and just got my command. Um, but I've always, always wanted other people to love flying as much as I do. Yeah. Um, so even when I was in the Air Force, I used to go down the back. I used to say to the Loadmaster, if there's any, any nervous, you know, a lot of them were soldiers or... Mm. they were family i'd go down and just have a quick chat find out what was wrong with them and uh, i suddenly realized that actually it doesn't take a, a genius a, a top psychologist that just needs a little chat and simplify something and tell someone you can actually yeah. take away a lot of their fears so yeah my um my real love now is as well as flying is trying to make people love flying as much as i do and we do <laughs> well okay that's great so th- you've given me lots of little things that i can pick up on I've, i didn't know that about your background in terms of you also been an engineer that's really interesting because not every pilot will necessarily have that in-depth understanding, but you you could fix it as well. I mean, this is just impressive. Gives me faith in the engines. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. and when the engineers sign things off and they just hand us the tech log and say, this has been done, I actually have a full understanding of the, you know, the, the real complexities that have gone on, mm-hmm. the secondary tertiary checks, yeah. regulation, manufacturing, you know, how often things get changed out before they're even anywhere near failing and yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic um, insight. And do you ever sort of let on about your secret past or do you just sort of... Some of the guys actually, there's a couple of guys at Heathrow who um, who were in the Air Force with me and, you know, I, I'm shocked. What are you doing here? And they're like, what are you doing here? You're in the flight deck. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great to see people get on. And um, Yeah, that's yeah. a really interesting journey as well to go from sort of, you, you knew you wanted to go into aviation in some way or another and then you've just, the route has been quite, Sort of squiggly, hasn't it? And it, the one thing's built on another. That's really interesting. So tell tell us a bit about your life now. What you what you're doing? Um, so yeah, I um, I've had a. It's been an amazing journey so far uh, with the airline that I'm at. Um, COVID obviously happened. I was very lucky to um to be uh, in a in a. I wasn't lucky to be grounded, but I was lucky in what happened when I was grounded. I went for um, operations director role, so running our big command center that deals with all the aircraft crew pilots outstations, airports, and everything. So I had 20 months of dealing with all the, the, the problems that that brought, as well as everything else that affects an airline, like volcanoes got off in St. Vincent, mm. um, you know, and a million other different different things, computer failures and all sorts of other things with air traffic control and, and everything. So I had um, almost a couple of years there, and then just over two years back flying now, 
back as a first officer. Then I got my command course. So I've just been through about, well, it's probably about four or five months through the ringer of, um, of being pushed to the limits and everything to prove yeah. um, that, you know, I've got what it takes to be a captain and command the aeroplane. And then I've had about, got married in between. This, you know, I don't do things by halves. No, I really had an extremely busy summer, uh, which is why anyone who does follow me on social media has probably realized I've been a little bit quiet. I wanted to keep my head down, probably a sensible thing while and concentrate a hundred percent on um on yes. the command course and then any spare time on the family after that whereas now i'm i have a lot more free time now so yes i've had some big plans in action so hopefully i can uh, hit the ground running and get back on the social media and, and help help people again with the uh got a, fear of flying got a hell of a following well yeah it, what it's it is about you they like flight well how is it you know flying. i don't know if i just got a bit a little bit lucky my brother's a singer songwriter and he posts some amazing um, amazing videos of the insight of what it's like to to run a band, um, and you know he gets a few hundred on some, maybe a thousand on another, and that's a big success. And it is when you look at some people's numbers. And then mm. something about turbulence and about just a fear of flying. I, I don't think pe- that many people are that open about a fear of flying. Not something they just openly say unless they're visible, visibly yeah. scared on an airplane. Mm. Um, so I think as soon as your social media feed realizes that you watch a, a, a minute long. A person chatting for a minute long on um, social media, the algorithm picks up, and then you start feeding it. And uh, because most pilots, it's their worst nightmare to stick themselves in front of a camera uh, and talk and put themselves on social media. Um, then yeah, I think I just got I got a little bit lucky, and I suppose I'm I'm quite good at simplifying complex yeah. problems uh, and just making it an everyday thing. And um, I think it's the proofs in the pudding that I've spent a lot of time chatting to passengers over the years. Just mm. because I'd go down and try and reassure them. And that, that practice it has paid off because stick me in front of a, a camera and put me on social media. And it's, uh, you know, I've, I've rehearsed it accidentally so many times chatting to yes. people and telling them how safe airplanes are mm. and flying is and how amazing it is when, you know, the world that airplanes open you up to, visiting friends, family, you know, um, business trips, holidays special events and everything it um i think it just comes across and yeah, yeah i've got lucky because i think it's a hundred thousand now on tiktok uh, i'm going to concentrate a little bit more on instagram now mm-hmm. as well um i've saved up some of my allowances when i haven't been online and i've been revising for my command course and i've bought a expensive mic lights and um camera and stuff so yeah uh, hopefully people will see a lot more videos from me soon yeah so you're i mean that's quite a commitment that you're doing isn't it to 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 do that what keeps uh, you going? Um, again, I, I accidentally fell onto sort of like a social media business model by accident. Um, I, I, re- I realized when I was posting different things, when I was on the ground, actually, I was posting how we look at weather, the problems we've got around the world from a ground perspective. Mm. Um, and I suppose it taught me what people watch and what they don't watch viewing-wise. Yeah. Um, so then that, that got me realizing what people want to listen to and what to talk about, what they want to be reassured um and then yeah they i started to ask people to ask questions at the end of the video okay i'd sort of say you know if anyone has any other questions on a fear of flying because people are scared of all sorts of different things yeah yeah um then stick a comment and the best one gets a live video um response from me fly happy fly safe which was just some tagline that i stuck on the end and then i would get hundreds of comments saying i hate it after takeoff when it sounds like the engines have failed i hate it when there's beeps and bells and sirens in the cabin and i don't know what's going on that scares me mm-hmm. um so then it, it's self it's like a self-licking lollipop sort of thing people put comments in and i go oh, that would make a good video hit record take the video online and then i get a load of other ones so yeah it just seems oh, well. can we just, just pause for a moment well. where did the unearth self licking lollipop come <laughs> it's a northern thing <laughs> From the northeast, my grandmother used to say it. So, um, yeah, if, if something um, goes around in circles and feeds itself, she used to call it a self, a self-licking lo- lollipop, as if it's a great invention. <laughs> That's a great idea. I might have to use that and clean it off. Uh, so, what what do you notice that people are most worried about? Um, I'd say the majority of people are at turbulence being stuck in a, what they what they perceive to be a small space when actually mm-hmm. it's quite a huge space inside an airplane but what they perceive to be a, um, a small space and then it is pretty much a i mean they have a fear of, of dying obviously which which you know yeah um 
is, is obviously a self-defense mechanism. We all have, everyone's scared of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, and then it's just a mixed bag of everything. You, you have some really, what we, what you would traditionally think is quite out there and you can't really get your head around, but to them, it's the biggest thing in the world. And that's, what's important. That is that to them, it is the biggest thing in the world. Yes. Um, and I've, I've tried to chat some people and no matter what you say, they go back to being terrified. And I think those, those people with that sort of fear, they do need not specialist help. Sounds like it's, it's something bad. I I mean, I think they need a qualified psychologist who can sit down and talk through you know, when, when someone explains to you that it's safe and why it's safe and they've simplified it and they've chatted and they've reassured you and they've done all that, if they then need um, more help, then I think you do need to be a special, specially trained person to, to get over that. What I'm trying to be is, uh, and I think what a lot of us are, you know, yourself and Captain Chris and a lot of the others, that we're just trying to reassure people, we're trying to say it in the most simplest yeah. terms, so they understand, because no one really gets told, do they, we... The industry spends a lot of time and money on advertising, on showing you the destination, um, and and you know the, these fantastic holidays and trips around the world. The bit, the bit when the doors close to when they open on board, no one says anything other than they shove a safety card in front of you, and then they start talking about the aircraft being on fire or ditching in the sea. Which no wonder people are terrified. What what you need to realise is that that's the similar thing when you go and visit an office building. The first thing they do is give you a you know, a fire brief and where you would, where you would just yes. muster point outside. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't happen, but you know, that's like people going into a, an office and being terrified of it catching on fire. It's, um, so yeah, we, I try and, I try and simplify it all really. And, and try to, um, make people understand in a way that they realize it is safe. Yeah. Um, and that they've got something to come back to, to remind themselves how safe it is. No, no, you do that really well. You do that. Yeah. They understand the industry, they understand the manufacturers, they understand the training, the regulation, mm. and everything else. Yeah, that's that's really the main points to consider. Yeah, I, I think you've got a, a bit of a knack for putting it very simply. So I was, I thought, would it be a bit of a cheek just to say, to, you know, just because people that tune in will be delighted because they love hearing from pilots, you know. So it, out of all the podcasts, probably the pilots and some some people's individual stories, but it's generally the pilots and the technical people that get the most kind of downloads. And so, and they, I don't think you can tell people enough about turbulence and why it's safe and, and all that sort of stuff. So I thought, get you on. With your knack for explaining things simply, maybe I'll ask you, right, okay, so somebody says to you, I'm really worried about turbulence. Yeah. What would you say? And, and maybe there's a couple of other um, things. If, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, I think the issue that, the biggest issue that people have is we all grew up with these adventure films that are really exciting to watch. And, um, and you know, the many TV shows and, and movies, if they have anything to do with an aeroplane, the oxygen, you know, they're shaking, there's lights flashing. Yeah. Uh, everyone's screaming, oxygen masks come down. Yeah. Next thing, the aircraft's diving towards the ground and, you know, everyone's, um, and everyone's an issue. That's, that's what we're fighting from day one, really, that everyone's mm-hmm. had that drilled into them, that that's reality. Just like Jaws, you know, if you go swimming, a shark's going to kill you. It's, it's pretty similar. When actually yeah. the reality is we get trained to such a high level we fly little aeroplanes first in turbulence, you know, and we get to know what it's like, and then you get to bigger, bigger aeroplanes. And and actually, I think one of the one of the facts that make people realise that it isn't dangerous is actually pilots intentionally fly into turbulence. Sometimes we don't do fly into clouds. We don't fly into you know severe turbulence on on purpose when it's to do with weather or. Uh, but if we want to get into a jet stream, so the other I flew last week back from Atlanta. Um, it should have taken about nine hours. Um, however, there was a 180 mile an hour jet stream, which for those who don't understand, it's a huge column of air, miles and miles across, thousands of feet deep, and it runs for hundreds of miles across mm-hmm. the, the whole Atlantic sometimes. If it's doing 180 miles an hour, we can add that to our normal speed of, say, 550, 600. But we can end up doing 750, 780. So it, that reduces the time from nine hours from Atlanta to Heathrow to seven hours 31 the other day for me it was wow but the the air around that huge column that huge jet stream is like in your back garden doing you know 20 miles an hour 30 miles an hour even at altitude can be and it's suddenly got to move from that speed 
through 180 miles an hour. Mm. Um, now, that does cause the air to churn up, just like if you fired a hose pipe into a swimming pool, you know, that fast jet would churn up all the rest of the water and it would cause some currents. Um, we have to fly through that churned up air to get into the 180. Normally, it's quite smooth once you get into the jet stream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that has several factors. One, the customer gets to their destination quicker. Um, two, we have less wear and tear on the engines because it's an hour and a half less flying. It's an hour and a half less burning of fuel. Yeah. Um, it's an hour and a half on the ground that the aircraft can can be made. You know, extra maintenance can be done that that, that needs to be done that can be fed in. So there's a lot of advantages, and that's the, one of the times where we would intentionally know that we're going to encounter turbulence. We put the seatbelt signs on, mm. um, and you know, it, it just proves that. We wouldn't go near jet streams if turbulence was really dangerous and it would damage the aeroplane. Um, so, you know, that hopefully that that reassures people. That's great. There's then been decades and decades and decades of, of instances where people have accidentally got themselves into, you know, bad turbulence in, in big thunderstorms and, and weather. And we learn from it every single time. So we spend, uh, there's, there's hours and hours goes into each flight from, uh, airline operations departments, the weather, the mm. flight planning to make mm. sure that we avoid the turbulence. Then the air traffic control in the area, yeah, they look at all of their radars, they check the weather, we speak to each other as pilots, we do everything we can to avoid, you know, the really bad turbulence. And even that, with seatbelts on, it's just uncomfortable and make, yeah. you know, it can make some people feel sick, it can shake things around. It stops us doing a meal service so the pilots don't get to eat their dinner on time. Well, we um, don't want to do that to the <laughs> But yeah, it um it, it it's it really is um it it, it it's uncomfortable, but but it, it's safe. Um, is the yeah. main thing. I like that, and I like the um the hose pipe into the swimming pool thing. That's a a good way to describe a jet stream. I haven't thought about it like that. It's really yeah. that's very very clever. That is makes perfect sense. And I think the main message that people will take from that is that yeah, so it's uncomfortable, but it's not dangerous, and and you avoid it for comfort. And you go into it deliberately just for a bit of speed and all those other benefits. That's that's really useful. Okay. So there's something that people often say to us about turbulence and they love the pilots to speak. So I know that anyone who goes on one of your flights, they're gonna you're gonna be you'll know the right amount of chatter. But a question that we used to ask on our big group courses, all right, so that you get on board your flight, you're gonna do nine hours somewhere, right? And the pilots know, or pretty much know that halfway through the flight, there's going to be a bunch of turbulence. Do you want to know at the beginning of the flight or do you just want to wait to find out? And literally it would divide a room. So I would say, I'd rather know so then I can prepare for it and then I'm okay. And the others would say, no, I don't want to know because then I've got to spend four hours worrying about it and it might not even happen anyway. Yeah. What's your view on that? Um, so again, I can use another example of um, last week, the the turbulence we on the, on our flight plan we have zero to nine and for turbulence uh, wind well it's sheer mm. just which is exactly what I've just spoken about the wind doing twenty miles an hour and then a few miles later it's one hundred and eighty miles an hour and in between there's that shearing and that's where the turbulence is mm. so we had nines um, for about forty five minutes which we tried to look could we could we avoid it we couldn't is it dangerous no but it's going to have issues with the service so if we told all of the passengers and um, the crew and I mean we'd let the crew know that there was a possibility but if we'd if we'd get everyone up for this awful hour and a half of being shaken shaken around terribly people would have been really anxious really worried um an actual fact it didn't happen at all there was a few few little rumbles we put the seatbelts on for a couple of hours we were speaking to air, tra air traffic we were speaking to other aircraft ahead is there any turbulence what levels are best and no one was no one was encountering this turbulence now it it there's two sides of the coin. One, the, the models and all of the um, meteorologists and the forecasters and everyone else, the scientists, can say, we think there's a real high chance of moderate to yeah. severe turbulence in this area. Mm. So they will tell us about it, obviously. But it it hardly ever happens where they don't, they get it wrong. It, mm. It's either they forecast it and it's there, or they forecast it and it isn't there. It, it generally isn't, takes us that much by surprise very often. It's so good and so accurate now. That um, that it's very rare for it to suddenly take us by surprise. It can happen, which is why we always say have your seatbelt loosely fastened. Uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't seem to. So in that in that event, I think it's best to not to not tell the the, the passengers. I like to to chat now, and luckily I'm in the left hand seat. So obviously, as the captain, I can make PAs when I want to. But it 
it's a fine art of when to do it. So the other the other night, we uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did have some turbulence for about 20 minutes. I've been told there was a couple of nervous flyers and I had to make a judgment call of, you know, it, it, it was getting into a jet stream again. So I just wanted to reassure people yes. this is expected and it's and it's there because it should be there because of mm. the reason of the jet stream. Mm. Um, and But you've got to think, am I going to wake anyone up? Uh, yes. Am I going to terrify someone who um, who doesn't want to? You know, I'm going to interrupt everyone's movie to to do a quick chat, and then I so I chatted to the crew, and they said, "No, everyone's awake." I think they'd probably be reassured because we stopped the meal service in the middle, so a few people are upset about that. Yeah. So I, I just made a quick PA and said, "Look, just to let you know, we you obviously realise that we're in some turbulence. To reassure any nervous flyers, this is completely expected. Uh, we didn't expect it to last so long, but it should only last for another ten minutes or so, and then I'll be able to take the seat belts off." But, that apparently reassured a lot of yeah. the um, passengers. But as for doing a brief every trip, telling someone whether there's turbulence or not, I'd, yeah, with maybe with short haul, if you're only going to do an hour's flight or something, you know it's going to be there. It might be, but for a nine-hour flight, you're just going to worry people that are yeah. miles and miles. Well, I think the main thing is that you hit upon it, Simon, is the fact that you spoke. And one of the things we know is that not just nervous flyers, but just flyers and people who've yet to admit to being nervous, they quite like to hear from somebody at the front because obviously you're this sort of disembodied voice now and uh, yeah. behind your bulletproof door so they can't they can't imagine what might be going on what you're like and so whenever you speak it's massively helpful and that was a really nice way of doing it if you literally said it like that it sounds really natural like you know so a professional just chatting to you like oh by the way we knew about this i like that that's really good yeah there's this okay. the the that's two of the issues that we have, really. We'd love to be able to speak to, to people every time. Um, and we'd, we'd love to put the seatbelt signs on whenever there's any chance of, of turbulence. That's that's always a bit of a, a judgment call. If there's any doubt, we put the seatbelts on. But sometimes you think, you know, someone's just, you've got three or four babies on the flight in the middle of the night. You know that they're in their sky cots safe. Um, it's a big deal when you put that the seatbelt signs on, you know, in days gone by when we had bars on, on the aeroplanes and stuff, the crew was getting a bit rowdy would sometimes say, can you just put the seatbelt signs on to empty the bar? Because we, yeah. we've asked them quite a few times and people are trying to sleep and they're getting a bit rowdy and we don't want to spoil their 50th birthday party. Yes. And you think, but if I do that, I've got to wake up babies. I've got to, you know, it's mm -hmm. a big deal putting the seatbelt signs on unless you do actually think that you're going to come across it. And again, I'd love to put PAs out all the time to keep people. I like the sound of my own voice if you haven't noticed. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, but again, you're going to disturb people. Some people on long haul flights, especially some people pay a lot of money for comfortable seats so they can sleep to be fresh and ready for their business meeting in the morning. Mm. Others have spent a fortune once in a lifetime trip for their 50th birthday with their friends and they want a party. And it, it's quite hard for the crew sometimes to, um, to find that balance to, to yeah. satisfy everybody. Um, mm. so yeah, it's a um, call that really nicely, actually that sort of that tension between different people, what they need, you know, and, uh, but yeah, that's, that's really interesting. All right. And let's, let's go. So what other things do you think bother people? I know we've turbulence. That's a good one. Uh, I, in my mind, it's things like the stages of flight, understanding what happens at 1500 feet and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. What, what do you, how do you talk around? I mean, maybe you disagree with there's something else that's more obvious, but I think that for me would be up in the top sort of three or four. Yeah. It is. Um, I get a lot of people asking why it sounds like the engines have failed at, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred feet just after takeoff, and it feels like they're dropping out of the sky. Yeah. Um, another one on the same vein is in turbulence, we drop thousands of feet or hundreds yes. of feet. Um, and I think that one can be explained away reasonably easy to people by, uh, one, how pilots are tricked by flight simulator. We don't move anywhere in that little box. It rotates and it turns and twists. We think we're braking hard. We're doing, you know, 45 degree bank turns. We're accelerating, climbing, descending. But actually it's just that box with a little movement and the visual cues inside tricks our brain into thinking that we're doing all of these crazy movements. Sat down the back in the, you know, you have very little visual references mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a passenger. Um, and if the aircraft moves a little bit and then your brain doesn't sense it's leveled out, it, it can continue to think that it's dropping, it's yeah. accelerating, or so your brain can be tricked a lot. Um, so that one after takeoff, for instance, um, we need, we may need almost full power to safely get airborne and climb away. But once we're at a thousand feet, we don't need all that power. So why waste the engines? Why put out loads of noise? Why burn extra fuel? You know, everyone's really conscious about the environment and 
carbon footprint, so we'll reduce the power to the next amount we can drop back to safely for the climb. But that comes with it a bit of a disadvantage for the, the passenger who just sees, the fr- they can feel by the seat of their pants that the aircraft changed its attitude somewhat, the nose has dropped a little bit. We yeah. bring the power back at the same time, and that yeah. trick that's exactly what a flight simulator does to tell you you're descending, so to them it can feel mm. like they're descending with no visual references. So they get tricked into thinking that they're dropping when actually we're still climbing at 500 to 1,000 feet per minute. So if you look at a 1,000-foot block of flats in you know a big city, we're climbing that whole block of flats in a minute, even when it feels to a passenger down the back that we're dropping. You know That's, that's the, the reality of what's happening. So it's trying to explain people to that. So I've done a few videos on that, uh, explaining people. That seems to, to, to put people's mind at rest. And then the turbulence one, you know, the... What often gets misconstrued by the, the wonderful media is that an aircraft dropped 4,000 feet due to turbulence. What actually happened is the aircraft was rumbled around a little bit, and then the pilots found that, you know, instead of 40,000 40, feet, it's really bad turbulence, but 36,000 feet is, is light turbulence or none. So they just send 4,000 feet. That gets put out into the media that, you know, an aircraft dropped 4,000 feet. So I've, I've recorded a video safely in the cruise when there were other pilots flying, you know, in, in turbulence that, it moves about five feet, the altimeter. And it felt like to us we were really getting shaken around, but the speed was was within five miles per hour and the, the altitude was five to ten feet and the autopilot just slowly corrects itself back because it likes to be exactly at the, light, at the right altitude. So yeah, that's one of the worries that people have. So once you, again, once you clear that up and they have that education, that understanding, they then aren't scared about it anymore because yeah. uh, they understand what's happening but it's it's slowly going through these fears that people have mm. and and trying to to, re, to reassure them um yeah and then yeah this you get, you get some some very good reports from people you know 15 years i haven't gotten on an airplane and now i can visit my daughter in vancouver or you know um because it and i think you've just educated yourself you know i've put out some simple information but it's it's made a huge difference to to some people so that there's a lot of job satisfaction there but yeah, your original point. It's um, yeah, that the turbulence is um, it, it's quite easily um, explained as is the um, your brain being tricked into descending. Um, no, that's good. I like the um, the sort of like linking it to a big sort of high rise block of flats. That's what you're doing every minute. That's a, you know that's really helpful, isn't it? Because when you look out the window, yeah. you can't really calibrate at all, and so that, no. that's a really helpful way for people to think. Oh, you're the gift that keeps on giving. Let's get, <laughs> let's get some more. Uh, okay, so um, other things that people worry about in terms of the, the safety now is the security, sometimes the terrorism, that side of it. Uh, I think particularly since 9-11, for those who flew before, it would have had a very different experience to how it is now. Even though I thought you know, I was flying then, I thought it was really, really safe then. I didn't think of it as any less safe. But now it's just been ratcheted up. Even more so with the sort of the way that you get security scanned, the liquids and all that sort of stuff. What's, what's your take on all of that? Um, the, the ground job that I did gave me a real insight to just how much planning, thought, experts, different agencies um, from, you know, the the worldwide agencies get involved in these sort of decisions uh, and intelligence and, and and lots of learning points and. And and you do just have to it it's at some point you have to do just put a bit of faith in the sort of authorities and the agencies that are responsible for it and they have the bigger picture. Yes. Um and it's a frustration now. Um and, and I do notice people are getting frustrated easier these days. But I think you just have to for for the sake of a few minutes, I think everyone's better off to be to be safe. And it's not just what what you mentioned, you know, it's people sneaking alcohol onto aeroplanes, it's um, it's again education. People don't understand what is what is and isn't dangerous on an aeroplane. You know, so people will complain about I can take my phone on an aeroplane because that battery, that battery's safe, but I can't take my hoverboard or my this piece of medical equipment that I need mm-hmm. because the battery in it hasn't been cleared and tested. So yes. when when you're allowed to take something onto an aeroplane, it's because it's been tested. It's been proven to be safe. If there's even a tiniest chance of something going wrong, like everyone's mobile phone, there is a chance that one in a million might heat up and get hot. So we have procedures on board. We have, you know, bags on board which contain the heat, cool it down and and stop it becoming a real danger. All of these things go on in the background. Um, 
you just have to have the faith that someone's thought about it, made a sensible decision, and they don't think that, you know, even if it's a small risk, they've decided that that risk isn't mm-hmm. they have to take. Um, so, yeah, I I get on board every day, and, um, and I, I feel safe. I thank the um, the security, no matter how, you know, even if I, I've taken my flight bag through hundreds of times in the last couple of years with the same thing in, if, if next Tuesday they take it out and say, this needs to be checked, it's just... Be patient, let them do their job, and then um, and then get on with your day. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's the yeah. To look at it. So, you, in terms of the terrorism side of it, you've you've covered that nicely. I think that understanding that how much is going on in the background is really helpful for people. So, can I ask you some random questions that sort of people? You know, I'm sure there's yeah. other topics, but you've that's got a really cool. nice that's way of explaining things. So, I think it's I kind of want to get. Take advantage of that because I'm thinking of the nervous flyer listening to this. So, one of the things that people worry about is, uh, you know, we have to put all our things in flight mode. And you know, the classic one. I was flying the other day, and somebody was using their phone, and they it wasn't in flight mode. I don't think it was anyway. And I know the answer to this, but I'd like you, your yeah your description of why that wouldn't you know why it's a thing. Is it a problem? Um, we in magic. So when mobile phones first came out, they they could interfere with some of, of the instruments. Mm. Um, we like to tell the, the customers the same sort of thing, so it reassures them, and um, everyone knows the rough procedures and what's expected of them. Um, there are certain times on board an aeroplane that you want people to pay attention to uh, safety cards, to safety briefs, and you know, having things in in uh, aeroplane mode reduces that the distraction a little bit in, in somewhat um years and years ago as i say phones could interfere uh, there's yeah. still a chance uh, but i think the biggest the, the biggest threat really is you know 400 phones all trying to log on to a uh, a network coming into land in into america and you must have put a mobile phone near a speaker before and heard the you know we don't want any chance of that coming through the headphones we don't want any sort of interference and we we do um so yeah, so it's it, it's still uh, a procedure that again people have looked at and they've looked at what the risk is, and uh, you can see now that pe- certain uh, certain devices can be left um, to be used. Others are just in flight mode, so they aren't transmitting big powerful signals trying mm. to log on to a phone mast. Um, and yeah, slowly I think as as phone developers make their transmission and receiving software you know safer or hardware safer. We can start to change procedures, and I think we've started to see that a little bit. But yeah, it's yeah. still each airline has different procedures. They all have different airplanes. Some airplanes flying around are thirty years old. Some are three months old. Um, so yeah, just just trust that the safety card and that the cabin crew know what they're talking about, and that there's a reason for it. And um, I'm sure everyone can wait for the ten more minutes for their mobile phone signal till you land, and you're in the airport terminal. Yeah, well, maybe not. <laughs> FOMO. Uh, so that was great. Uh, I think another one which comes up a lot, and I think this will be perfect for you with your uh, engineering background, is and they're kind of linked. This the thing around engine failure, um, not you know flying over land versus flying over sea, flying at night. You know that all these things conjure up lots of images, questions, and worries in people's minds. But so, yeah, if we start with like talking about engine failure and why the routing that you do. Because, you know, this flying across the water thing is a big deal, as you know. So any other, anything like that will be really helpful. So I feel like I'm dumping on your side. No, no, it's no, got a really fine. nice way of describing stuff. So firstly, um, I think the easiest way to prove how how safe the engines are and how um, how very, very rarely we have any issues with them at all, never mind them, them failing, is if you think of all the pilots and the cabin crew and all of their partners, wives, kids, you know, people that they love, if every time you went to work, you were, you know, did you hear about this aircraft had an engine failure? Oh, this one for, you know, Singapore Airlines had an engine failure. American had an engine failure. You know, it, it very, very rarely happens amongst mm. all of the aircraft, you know, on Earth. It's very, very rare. And that's because, um, again, the engine manufacturers learn that, that any issues, any failures, and they get rid of those failures. So the engines are super, super safe. Um, I suppose the second one is that um, we plan for the absolute worst even though the chances are so, so slim. And we, before we even get off the ground, we know where we would divert to, where we would um, turn to up for the entire route. 
uh, and we have it's not just a guess you know finger in the air type thing it, it's written down it's it's regulated and it's legal we have to have a certain distance or a time to an airport at all times so mm-hmm. and you know they've worked out the chances of probability we can get there absolutely no problems whatsoever even with one engine um the second the third thing i, th- I think as well is that um we have two engines but really we only need one um we can do everything with that airplane with just one engine and we do it a lot of the time in the simulator every single time we get in the simulator we do lose an engine to whatever reason whether it just flames out whether we have bird strike whether we um, have a fire a failure or, or it's vibrating so we shut it down to be safe so we're we're constantly practicing flying around on one engine um we can cancel an approach and we can fly around we can cruise for hours to a different airport um and we can do everything that we do normally with two engines the second engine really is there for efficiency it allows us to fly higher it allows us to fly where the you know the, the engines a lot more efficient and burn less fuel it allows us to go further and it's a huge redundancy thing we only really need one but we've got two so if one fails we're still perfectly fine mm-hmm. um so yeah the, the the engine failure thing really is you know we we have two they're tested to destruction they know exactly when they do actually fail and then they take a huge margin off and then a bit more of a margin off and then the maintenance procedures fix repair service anything that could go wrong before it has any chance of going wrong so they're yeah they're incredibly reliable um and yeah they hopefully that again um reassures people that you know wherever we are in the world even when we're over high terrain you know we fly to to india over the himalayas we have a plan for the and it's briefed the pilots if we lose an engine here 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 this is how we're going to turn this is how we're going to turn away from the high terrain because with one engine we can only fly at say twenty three thousand feet that mountain would be an issue so our routing would be away from the mountain at worst case scenario all the time in case we ever need it um yeah but yeah hopefully that re that reassures people that they have i think so yeah i think it does i mean they also people have similar things when it comes to flying over water and flying at night anything you'd like to add about that um well the pilots really we once once we're up at altitude we we don't need to really see out the window it's nice it's a beautiful view but everything in the aircraft set up to not see out the window because when we're in weather or cloud we can't see out the window um so whether it's dark or light it's it's really it, it doesn't change for for a, a commercial pilot really we could be in cloud and not see it could be dark there's no real difference yeah. we can still see everything we need to because the radar is our eyes air traffic control our our, our eyes air tra- uh, other aircraft are our eyes um our instruments and so really flying at night it's 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 no difference landing at night is not really hugely different um so yeah it's i can see why looking out into the you know out of the windows and it's just pitch black um it, it can be all on ominous people but um yeah it doesn't yeah. really make that that much of a difference and again landing over uh, you know flying over water we always have an option but when we're flying over central europe we have options we don't really want to be using that option and the chances are we won't have to so no. whether we use an option over water or whether we use an option over a huge continent we're still diverting because of a problem or a medical or a yeah, yeah. so yeah it's it's just a it's a mindset really uh, yes. which pilots and crew are, are lucky enough to have an insight into but yeah the well, I think again. the thing that was really nice about that is that you're talking about all the redundancies or you know, capacity with normal people would say. Cause, yeah. Um, but that, I think no I single think point of failure. Yeah. What's just what's really um, interesting is is the whole psyche of of pass of passengers and myself before I was a pilot and and everyone else. It's a real natural normal thing to to be worried to be concerned when you don't understand something and it's an alien environment um but what is really interesting is that people will leave their house and they'll sometimes travel like four hours on several different modes of transport you know i love uber drivers i think they're great and interesting but you'll jump into an uber and you'll drive across central london and that's the chances where you're having you know people who might not be insured not even might not even have a license they haven't serviced the cars on the road not the uber drivers other other users um, and you know that's the person who could crash into you or cause you an issue. You know when you're when you're transiting across London on the the tube, or you're you're walking across streets, and there's you know there could be drunk drivers, there could be any issues, and mul- multiple multiple people do that without even thinking. But the second they get to the airport, 
the most dangerous part of their journeys out of the way by a million times, but they'll be terrified about, you know, an aircraft and a, um, a highly qualified pilot and a route that's been flown a lot of times. And as I say, days and weeks of thought going into each flight with the planning. And that's when they worry. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's, it's very a lot to do with control as well. It is, yeah. People, you know. Yeah. We do have um, one of the, the, the behavior patterns that I sometimes talk about is that you've probably got one in five of your passengers are standby pilots. So they're, yeah. they're waiting, they're, they're flying the flight for you. They're keeping an eye on your flight map and uh, they're on standby in case you need them, you know, because they, they can't relax the whole time. Yeah. And so, you, so you've got all of those people you can call upon should you need them, you know, just checking <laughs> them. Yeah. And quite a lot of nervous flyers have said that they, they would literally, although they said that, I know it's crazy, but I, I stay alert because, you know, just in case, you know, I think, well, what's yeah, yeah. going to happen? The sign is going to pop down and say, it's tricky landing. What do you think? Yeah, the um the the one volunteer we do tend to use sometimes on an airplane is the medically qualified ones. Yeah. Um, you know, because if we've got a sick passenger on board, with the crew are trained to a very high standard. They've got a lot of mm. uh, medical equipment, but um, you can't you can't beat a, a doctor or someone who's really qualified. Yeah. You know, I think let the experts do their job. The the pilots, the crew, and as I say, the the um the the passengers are probably not the best qualified to control an aeroplane they'll all have their own superb skill that i wouldn't go near you know and i would trust them at times but um but yeah that that's the that's the best thing but they're also um i think it's just people watch the wrong the wrong things as well they're um you know they if you're if you're worried about anything the natural thing i about i i'll hold my hands up i before i went to the caribbean and did a lot of swimming um, I was terrified of sharks. Whenever I go into the water, I thought, you know, really, really um, unrealistic worry or, or fear. But I thought it would be me. I'd be the person the shark would bite. Spend a lot of time in the Caribbean with people who are diving, snorkeling, swimming, you know, chatted to the locals. Are there shark attacks? No. Are there sharks? Yes. Are there shark attacks? No. You know, and it, it was just a slow education for myself. It was experience. It was exposure to it myself. Yeah. Um, that, that that was a bit of a un, unrealistic fear, and again, on fly with flying, I hope to try and do that for people who are nervous, which is, you know, give them the, the realistic side of things, give them the simple explanations, the education, yeah. reassurance, and that. Definitely do that. Get over their fears. Yeah. One way of doing that is not to allow them fl to fly the plane. <laughs> yeah, please. We'll let you do that. So let let's go for. People will be going, oh, you know, ask him all this, ask him about that, ask him about that. But I think there's a general sort of theme that I often say to people that there's come some point that there's only so many what if questions you can ask a pilot. And at the end of the day, you'll have to make a decision about who do I trust? Am I going to put it into this? Because I won't have all my questions answered, but that's, that's not your job. Your job is to let them do that. So if you were to kind of to, to sum up, like your best kind of tips, advice, wisdom in terms of why they why people shouldn't be worried about flying. What would you say? Yeah, that um it it goes back to that point I said earlier, the pilots and crew and even the airport staff and air traffic control, we we hear about the actual real incidents and the real issues and things that have gone wrong on an everyday basis. We even get trained against them happening to ourselves. Um so we get full exposure to the to the to the worst side of aviation, if you want to call it that, you know, when it, what can go wrong and what can worry us. We also fully go through all of the drills and the procedures when it does go wrong. It, you know, into swimming pools, glides coming out of the doors, and all the rest of it, and all of the the and and we still, knowing all of that, get on board aeroplanes with big smiles on our face, um, and we can't wait. You know, I, I I wake up and when my alarm goes off, and I, you know, my wife will say. But you get up every day and you just like for work and you you never are annoyed about going to work or upset about going to work. You're always happy. And she's, she's cabin, cabin crew as well. So she sees the same side of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that amount of people worldwide who get on aeroplanes, having heard and seen the worst, it isn't actually that bad. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the realism of it. All of the things that, that passengers rightly worry about. And, you know, I understand why they do. The people who witness it, hear about it, experience it from friends and colleagues. They get on aeroplanes absolutely fine because it, it it really is extremely rare for things to go wrong, 
And when they do go wrong, actually for us, a diversion to another airport, a cancelled approach where we just, you know, take off again and come around and that's the safest thing to do. And we, we land again the second time round. No one gets hurt. No one gets harmed. It's a safe thing to do. Um, and, and people continually get into aeroplanes, as I say, hearing the worst. So it can't be that bad, can it? And it isn't. People should get reassurance from yeah. that, really, I think. Well, definitely. I mean, that is just diamond. Simon, that was brilliant. Honestly, that was really lovely stuff. I, and I'd love to just ask you, because you've got such a nice way of explaining things. It's very kind of normalizing, you know, and uh, yeah. yeah, that's very helpful. And so if anybody wants to follow you, I mean, there might be a couple of people who who aren't, you know, I'd be very surprised in this group. <laughs> most of them have mentioned your videos and already. So I, I guess you've probably got quite a huge following. But if anybody is looking for you, then your Instagram and all the rest of it will put... Yeah, they're all the same. There's, um, there's TikTok and Instagram mainly, which is um, flyman underscore Simon, my name. So uh, yeah. should be... Like Pyman, Simon the Pyman, Flyman Simon, that's where I keep. So how did you come up with a name for it? Because there must be, there's quite a few pilots out there that are doing this now, but there's, what I liked about yours is yours, you're thinking about the end user. And so there are some pilots, I'm not, I won't name them, but it's almost like, do you, are you a pilot or are you a model? Which is it? Yeah, they are. Um, they the ones I mean. I, I did a lot of research um, into the sort of social media side of things and, because it's quite hard to break out these days with mm. there's so much saturation in, in every industry and it's really hard to... Um, so I did quite a bit of research and one of the top tips was that your handle or your name on social media should tell people, one, your name so they know who you are and they can relate to the human side and two, you should just be able to read someone's handle and, and what are they about. Yeah. If you have to watch three or four videos to realise what they're about and that's confusing, then you're going to have no idea. So I thought, well, it rhymes. It's easy when I tell people and yeah it's the flyman simon but um uh, and it conveniently fits into the shape of an aeroplane which is my my branding so um so yeah i've I've kept it at that it seems to work um mm. people people recognize it and they talk about it on you know on board the crew will go i'm sure i know your face from somewhere we must have flown together and then they'll you're you're the tiktok guy the other um you answer people's questions yeah, yeah flyman flyman underscore simon it's on um TikTok and Instagram. If everyone could follow me on Instagram, that would be amazing because I'm trying to yeah. build that up a little bit. Yeah. And then I have an e-commerce store, which is basically a fancy way of saying I have a little shop that sells different e-books. Uh, right. There's not a lot on there at the moment, but there's a lot on my computer, which is about to be to be yeah, put on yeah. there. So there's a jet, jet lag recovery. I'm trying to encompass all things traveling and, and fear flying as well. So mm. there's uh, jet lag recovery tips on there. Um, there's a turbulence, an introduction to turbulence, and then there's a much bigger turbulence flight manual. There's, um, I've written a, a a guide from a pilot's point of view and all of the, the cabin crew and all the customers I've spoken to, top tips about traveling with a baby and a toddler. That's about to go on there. So there's about 40 or 50 tips about traveling with a baby or toddler on board airplanes and really hack and do and um, clear their ears in flight and all the rest of it. There's a similar one coming out on uh, a, a teenager and a young boy person's first trip away i was thinking back you know my my first lads holiday to ayanapa where my, my parents tried to lecture me on the dangers you don't listen um and i thought it would be great if somebody could get a, a document or a, a cool little ebook that you can give to your 17 18 year old nephew or niece or son or daughter whatever and say have a read of this it might just stop you hurting yourself or getting into trouble <laughs> on holiday so yeah there's, there's going to be a lot more things like that but there'll be, there'll be more turbulence there'll be more explaining what we do um, decision making and our training and then there's the main big book which is still at about 60,000 words I have to fi finish that which everyone keeps pestering me for I need it I need it to, before I yeah. get on a plane which again is all the stuff we've talked about uh, each chapter is just explaining it in a simplified yeah. way of why you are oh let us know when that's out we'll, uh, that's on an aeroplane one to plug so you know generally what what's the big plan for you what's next I mean you're, you're a captain now which is great yeah but you know that takes a lot of my time, yes. um, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, it's just trying to build this the, the social media side of things, really, where it gets to a point where um, I can answer the videos and that, that keeps the social media side going. Um, and then, yeah, get some, some of the books out there. I've got some ideas for an audio, an audio book version of it, um, the main book. Um, and then eventually the, some sort of, of course 
uh, whether it would be a downloadable one that you just watch or interact with as opposed yeah. to a one-on-one meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just so I can get out. They help as many people as possible, really. It seems to get people on aeroplanes and help people. So um, yeah, so, yeah, it keeps me keeps me out of the pub. I, I tend to go to the gym and do some work on this down route now as opposed to... Uh, I've seen all the sites of the different places that we go. There's always still something else to do that's amazing with the crew and the, the pilots. But yeah, it really, really keeps me entertained it's something i love it's something mm-hmm. i can do for the next 20 years till the, till the end of my career um I think it's great. yeah that's it really i think it was and you know i can't speak for everybody but i just think it's amazing what you're doing there's a lot of people out there that need help and it's great that there's people like you doing the stuff you do and the way you do it which is you know unique to you got a really nice style of really normalizing it which i think is like, well, like i said i got in i've got to say i've got a lot of inspiration from you i saw the um I saw your book with uh, Richard Branson on the front when I was on on the ground, and and had a little read of it and thought it was fantastic. You've done years and years and years of dedication to courses now, uh, which I think is a great thing. Um, well, yeah, I'll cut all... this bit out at the end. That's just embarrassing. <laughs> hopefully, we could all all work together. I'd love to come back on again and chat about different areas of topics. See, see, you know what went down well and what what other people want to hear more mm. or less about. And um, well, if you wouldn't mind, and that'd be brilliant. Yeah, it would be, be grateful. So, yeah, because I think there's people often have questions, and if if we have a bit of warning, because I wasn't quite sure if we'd get it together with rosters and all the rest of it, but if I thought it was definitely going to go ahead, I would have probably got so, so a bunch of questions because you know you've got such a lovely way to describe it. I think we we'll do that next time. Do a, a quick fire, okay, quick fire round of questions that people know. Yeah, because nothing uh, threw you, did it? You like straight back, you know, nice little way. <laughs> so, yeah. so this is our goal then, is to try and catch you out. What can we ask him? Um, <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Thank you. Really grateful and uh, pro- really nice to properly meet you. And uh, thanks again, Simon. Keep doing what you're doing, mate. It's awesome. Awesome stuff. You too. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank Great you. Speaking to you. Thank you for listening to the Love Fly podcast. I hope you're finding it helpful with your fear of flying. Now, if you do need some extra tailored help, you can go to our website, lovefly.co.uk and click on the courses button. You'll find more help there, such as our 30-day program and our on-demand webinar. Thanks again. See you next time.